Good morning. Hey, we're going to be in the book of Luke still, and I want to say, if you've not gotten a scripture journal, we've got them on a little table right when you walk in, and uh, it's just such a cool resource. I used it this week as I was studying for the passage, and uh, you can just take notes, and you can write all in it, not feel like you're writing in your Bible, but if you want to go get one of these scripture journals, go get it. This morning, we're going to be on page 58 in your scripture journal. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 36 through 50. I just want to say what a treat it was to see uh, Ashley and Barry and Nick up here leading worship. Nick, uh, have you ever led worship before? No, never led worship before. So, I mean, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? And then we all know Ashley, but she kind of led us all this morning. And I, I mean, that was incredible. I hope, I think we recorded something to send to your dad because that was awesome. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. I, that, that got my heart ready for the word of God. So let's dive into Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. The word of God says, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him, the Pharisee. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, this is your word and our prayer to you this morning is that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of it. Please change us in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Al, the last couple of weeks has kind of done a mini series from the book of Luke. We, we've wrestled so many times. How do we preach this Big book, 24 chapters, lots of pages, lots of verses, lots of different stories. How do we get through all of this uh, in a manageable time? And we've kind of said, let's say we're preaching from the book of Luke, not just we're preaching the book of Luke, and that may give us some freedom to kind of jump and skip around a little bit more. And so the last two weeks, Pastor Al has talked about the difference between religion and relationship, and he's mostly looked at the Pharisees. He's mostly looked at the Pharisees. And so right here, we have another encounter of Jesus and the Pharisees. And what's happening, I want to kind of recap the story just so we can wrap our minds around the context. So what, what's happening is that 
a Pharisee actually invites Jesus into his home for a meal. And, and I think this is a pretty cool thing about Jesus, that he accepts it. So you can get the idea that Jesus and the Pharisees butt heads, and they do. You can get the idea that the Pharisees don't like Jesus, and they don't. And you can get the idea that Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees, but that's not right. Right? Like, this is not a rivalry going on. This is still Jesus, our Savior. And he accepts the invitation and says, okay, I'm going to go into your house. So it says they go in and they recline at table. And so the way they ate, there's low tables and there's kind of these small cushions and chairs. So they would kind of lean over on one arm and kind of have their feet kind of going off to the side. And that's how they would lean down at the table. And that's how they would partake of meals and spend time together. So Jesus go in, goes in and he reclines at the table. And then it says, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she just comes right in. This is the first shocking thing in the story to me, that this woman, and all we know about her so far is that she is a sinner. Doesn't tell us what kind of sin. Many can speculate and say probably some sort of a prostitute maybe. It doesn't tell us. It just says she's a sinner, and she just walks right into this Pharisee's house. Now, it could have been cultural that when you had a prominent rabbi teacher come and you invited him into your home, it could have been kind of a cultural understanding that, hey, I know a lot of people are going to want to see him, so if you know he's here, you can come on, drop by, and, and interact with him too. But still, she comes in, and knowing who she was, a sinner, she walks into a Pharisee's house. Now, Pharisee and sinner. Remember what we've been learning about the Pharisees. We're going to see more of this coming up, but sinner walks in and doesn't stand on the back wall to eavesdrop on a conversation. She walks right up to the guest of honor. And as she walks up to the guest of honor, she takes an alabaster flask of ointment. So let's take that first century language and give it some 21st century meaning. What is alabaster flask of ointment? Alabaster is what they would make jars out of. Ointment, it, don't think like uh, lotion, think more like perfume. So we have a few other places in the Gospels where we see that this kind of perfume could have cost up to 300 denarii. So you say, what in the world is a denarii? Denarii is about one day's worth of wages. So you have perfume that could have cost almost a year's worth of salary, tens of thousands of dollars. So a sinner who doesn't belong in this setting walks right in, right up to the guest of honor, takes extremely expensive perfume, and what does she do with it? She stands behind him at his feet, and before she can get the perfume open, she begins to weep uncontrollably, so that her tears, she's crying so hard that her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. Now, at our house, there's like a spectrum of crying, okay? There's whining, which is fake crying. There's yelling, which is you're trying to cry, but no tears are coming out. Then there's watery eyes. Then there's Tears are actually coming down. So step four, we finally got some tears that are visible, okay, at our house. And you got tears that are visible, but you know, I mean, you've cried. You've seen other people cry, but you cry and there's tears coming down your face. But how hard do you have to cry for tears to come down your face, off your face, and be dripping? And then be dripping so much that she can use her tears to wash Jesus' feet. So we see some, some cultural things happening that you kind of go, this is awkward. Maybe she's not reading the room right where she just walks right up to the guest of honor and does this. But then she goes a step further. She lets her hair down. Now, first century, 21st century, okay? We, we let our hair down. That's not a problem. First century for a woman to let her hair down in public like that, it was a very intimate action. 
And it was actually, in some laws, it was punishable by divorce. If a woman was with her husband and she would let her hair down in public, her husband had grounds to divorce her. Now, that's not right. I'm not telling you that's okay. I'm not telling you God says that's okay. I'm just telling you the cultural practices and how the Pharisee and the others in the room would have viewed what she did. She walks right up to Jesus and claims some sort of intimacy with him that makes the Pharisee very uncomfortable. So as she's weeping and washing his feet, let her hair down, how does the Pharisee react? Notice what it says. He doesn't say this out loud. It says, he said to himself, he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, so let's just step back for just a minute and go, whoa. You can't think in private when you're with Jesus, okay? Man thinks to himself, Jesus responds out loud. That's incredible. But what does he think to himself? First, he's doubting Jesus, right? If this man were really a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. Well, he's got it all wrong if he thinks Jesus is just a prophet, right? We've already, we're only in chapter 7, and we've already seen he's much, much more than a prophet. But he says if he's a prophet... He would never let this, and I love what the text says in verse 39. He would have known who, so what's her name? Who who is this woman? She clearly has a reputation. Who and what sort of woman? He takes her and he puts her in this category. And he puts Jesus in another category. And he says this category doesn't interact with this category. And if he were really here, he would know that she's here and that they're supposed to be separated. So the Pharisee's not happy. So the first thing we see in this text from verses 36 to verse 40 is that we see Jesus is a friend of sinners. And actually, if you read the context, you get a little clue that what's about to come because in verse 34, Jesus is explaining to the disciples of John who he is. And in doing that, he explains to them, he says, look, I know what people think about me. And he says, look, the guy you follow, John the Baptist, he came, he ate no bread, he drank no wine, and they looked at him and they said, he has a demon. And he says, the son of man comes, eating and drinking, the opposite, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So people were trying to demean Jesus and put him down, and they said, look at him, he's a friend of sinners. And Luke builds on that and then tells the story where he says, And look at this one sinner he was a friend of, this woman, a woman of the city who was a sinner, and he was her friend. So what was meant to demean Jesus in verse 34 is really good news for the woman in our passage today. They meant to say, look at him, he's a friend of sinners. What kind of guy is this? But that's good news for sinners, right? That Jesus would be willing to be our friend. So, Going back to what Pastor Al's been preaching, religion and relationship, one of his points was this. Religion makes me want to avoid people who need Jesus. That is exactly what we see in the Pharisee. The Pharisee wants to avoid anyone who needs, now he doesn't think Jesus is the answer, but he, he wants to avoid anyone that has any sort of need, anyone who's known or marked by sin. The Pharisee goes, you don't belong. Religion makes us want to avoid people who need Jesus, and that's what we see in the Pharisees. So the question I want to ask 
First this morning is why does the Pharisee react this way? Why do any of us react this way? Why do we tend at times to lean towards religion, legalism, being like the Pharisees? What what makes us go that way? And how can I know if I'm becoming religious just like the Pharisee? How can I know? I want to offer just a few questions this morning. And full disclosure, I, I was really impacted by a pastor from New York City named Tim Keller with some of these questions that he asks. But I've also put some of my own in here. So how can I know if I'm religious just like the Pharisee? Here, here's some ways you can know. First, you have no pity or compassion for others. No pity or compassion for others. And the reason you have no, no pity or compassion is this. You think they ought to just work harder, do different, and fix their lives. And you think that because you think that's what you've done with your life. See, a religious person, a Pharisee, looks at a sinner and says, I don't have any pity for you. I have no compassion on you and your state and your sinful. You have this reputation. I don't have any compassion. Pull yourself up. Just change. Quit doing what you've done and start doing like me. Look, I could have gone your way, but I chose not to. I'm more strong-willed than you. I chose not to be known as a sinner. I'm stronger than you. I can resist better than you. Pharisees have no pity or compassion on others because they think they ought to just work harder to be like them. The next way you can know if you're religious like the Pharisee is that you get your worth by comparing yourself to others. Religious people, we, we find our self-worth by convincing ourselves that we're better than others. We get satisfaction and peace and value by comparing ourselves to others that we think we're better than. Religious people only obey God in order to get things from him. That's the third one. Religious people obey God only in order to get things from him. And number four is exactly the same except for with prayer. Religious people only pray to get things from God. Listen to this one. Religious people cannot take criticism because it destroys the image we've created of ourselves as a good person. Religious people have so convinced themselves that they're good and worthy and righteous that when anyone dares to criticize them, they can't take it because it bucks against the image they've created for themselves. And listen to this last one. Religious people cannot endure any bad circumstances because we think that bad things should never happen to a good person like me. And then when we see bad things happen to someone else, we automatically jump to thinking they must have done something that caused that. They must have, de- they must have in some way, they must have deserved that bad thing because that doesn't happen to me. Because I'm good. I take care of my life. I'm in control. This is just a few questions to help us think. Are we like the Pharisee in this story? Do we cringe at Jesus befriending people who are unlike us? This has been so convicting to me this week. Matthew and I were talking and praying together this morning, and we have such a small view of God's grace. That he loves and he forgives and he is kind and he is compassionate to a point. And the good news is that God's not like me. While I have a point where I may be done, and that's wrong of me, God's grace goes further still. 
And if you've read the Jesus Storybook Bible that we gave out in the fall and that uh, we're going through in our kids' classes right now, she repeats this phrase about God's uh, never-ending, always-and-forever love or something like that. And she weaves that into every story that she writes about from Scripture. And that is so true that God's love goes further still to befriend sinners. Even when we're like Pharisees and we think this person deserves nothing and they ought to get out. They ought not to be near Jesus. They ought not to be near me. So what happens when we find ourselves like the Pharisee? What is Jesus' response? How does Jesus respond to the Pharisee in this story? And how does he respond to the Pharisee in us, in me? Well, let's keep reading and find out. In verse 41, we see that Simon, we find out his name, Simon. Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And Jesus tells a story. There's a money lender, and he's got two people in debt to him. One person owes 50 denarii, the other 500. So 10 times more than the other guy. And we've learned a denarii is about a day's wages. So think, a couple months' wages and over a year's worth of wages. So this could be the difference in $10,000 of debt and $100,000 of debt. They're both in debt, and the moneylender looks at both of them, and he cancels both of their debt. Canceled. Gone. And he looks at Simon, and he says, who loves him more? Now, that's interesting, right? If someone were to cancel my debt for our car, and Wells Fargo Dealer Services calls us tomorrow and says, hey, we're waiving your debt, I would be grateful. I would be ecstatic. I don't know that I would say I would love Wells Fargo dealer services, though, right? Love's an interesting word there. I'd love something. I mean, I'd be through the moon. I mean, that'd be awesome. But love? But that's how Jesus puts it. He says, who loves the moneylender more? Simon, being a logical man, looks at Jesus and says, well, I suppose the guy who had the larger debt, right? He had more to lose. He had more to pay if that was not canceled. So I guess in a sense, he gained more than the other guy. So yeah, I guess he loves the moneylender more. And then, and you, this is important to catch, the details in this passage are so important. It says that he looks at the woman, but he's still talking to Simon. So, so put yourself in the room. Put yourself in the woman's shoes. Put yourself in Simon's shoes. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. What is this room like? You know, I think uh, our, our kids are getting old enough uh, Cece is definitely old enough now that <clears throat> last night we were at my parents' house and we were talking to my parents about something she had done that day. And she just started going, no. And I was like, what is she doing? And mom was like, I think she knows what you're talking about. So I'm talking to my parents about Cece. She hears what I'm saying and doesn't like it and wants me to stop. You know, and like we've all got instances we can think of like that, but, but Jesus in this moment, he's looking at the woman, talking to Simon, and he goes, this woman has been so kind to me since I walked in. You've done nothing for me. You invited me in. You didn't give me any water to wash my feet. I mean, in those days, wearing sandals, walking on dusty roads, your feet were dirty when you went inside. It, could, it was customary to give someone water to cleanse their feet when they came into your house. He didn't give Jesus any. It was customary to anoint someone's head with oil when they were a respectable person and they came into your home. I mean, it was just a way to show a real sign of respect to someone and honor and kindness. That man gave no oil to Jesus, didn't put any oil on his head, but this woman didn't just have 
day-to-day use oil. She has way more expensive perfume, and she doesn't put it on Jesus' head. She puts it on his feet. You see where Jesus is going? He's comparing Simon the Pharisee and this woman. And he's saying, it should be pretty clear, Simon. One of you loves me way more than the other. One of you loves me way more than the other. And isn't it clear that it's the woman that loves me way more? Now, why? So he gets to the end of this comparison, and he says, in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, uh, the order is important here. Jesus is not saying, because she loved me so much, I guess now I will forgive her sins. Jesus is saying, because she loves me so much, it's clear she has already had her sins forgiven. Now that's a really important distinction. One of them celebrates the good news of the gospel of what God's done for us. The other one says that in some way we can earn God's favor. One of them is completely wrong. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. God is not telling us in this passage, hey, if you will love me and serve me and give me expensive things, then I'll forgive your sins. Why don't you pay your way into my love? Why don't you earn forgiveness? That's not what God is saying. That is wrong. We cannot be tempted to go there. We know that's wrong from so many other places in Scripture. We see that salvation is by grace. It's a free gift. So what must Jesus be saying? He's connecting forgiveness and love. He's saying, she loves me so much. So what could that possibly mean? Jesus says one thing that could only mean by her great love, she realizes that she has received a great forgiveness. He connects the greatness of her love with the depth of her forgiveness. So Simon, the religious Pharisee, does not like that at all. In fact, he's opposed to the entire idea of forgiveness. In fact, all religion is opposed to forgiveness because they think whatever you have, you deserve it. Whatever your state is, whatever you kind of place you find yourself in before God, that's what you deserve and it is what it is. But it's important to recognize that this is not the gospel. The gospel is not opposed to forgiveness. Jesus does not ask us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. Jesus comes in with a completely different message. Listen to the message of Jesus. Bring your sin to me and I will forgive it. Your sin is awful and I want you to change. But I know that it takes something so much deeper to change your heart. I know that more rules cannot change your heart. Isn't that good news? I mean, I struggle with that with our kids, right? It's like when they're misbehaving, it's like I want to give them the rule again. And I need to because they need the boundaries. They need the direction. They need the wisdom. They don't have it. That's why God's put us in their life. But at the end of the day, even if they follow the rules, their heart's not different. And more rules will not change their heart. And the same is true of us. More rules won't change our heart. Now, rules aren't bad, right? 
rules aren't bad and often rules are ways that we express our love for God. So they give direction to how we're supposed to love God. But if we get the order wrong and we think I've got to follow the rules to get God's love, we've messed the whole thing up. It's the other way around. God's given me his love and now empowered me to change so I can follow the rules and show him my great love for him. And that's what happens right here. Jesus brings this good news of the gospel to this woman and to us. Pastor Al often describes worship like this. He says, we look up to God and we see what God's like. Then we look down to ourselves and we see ourselves in light of who he is. So who is God and then who am I? And who am I because he is who he is? And here's what that's meant to create, tension. When we look at God and we look at ourselves, there's a massive problem. We see something that's not right. We see something that creates a major dilemma in us. And it's that we are not like him. And we see him and then we see us and we keep looking back and forth. And at some point we've got to reckon with the fact that we're not like him at all. And our relationship with him is broken because of that. So when we realize that God is so different from us, I guess you could say we're all like this woman broken. Here's the beauty of of this story. We all have the same identity as this woman, sinner. I love the fact that it doesn't specify the sin because by doing that and keeping it general, we can all identify. We are this woman, sinner. We all have the same simple one-word reputation, In God's eyes, sinner. We've wronged him. We've rebelled against him. He's expressed himself to us. He's shown his love for us. And time and again, we've turned away. Time and again, we've said, no, I'll go my own way. I'll lean on my own wisdom. I think I know what's best for me and it's not you. We are all sinners. And this, hopefully, just like it does the woman, it breaks us because it means that we cannot be with God. It breaks our relationship with him. But that's the story of the entire Bible. God coming to get us and create a new, unbreakable relationship with us. So if you were to sum up the gospel based on this passage and based on the whole Bible, here's what you could say in one sentence. If I were more like Pastor Al, I would have a slide so you could all see it. The gospel summary right here. You are far worse than you ever wanted to imagine but you are also far more loved than you ever dared to hope. You are far worse than you ever wanted to imagine, but you're far more loved than you ever dared to hope. So let's apply this gospel to both people in the story, to Simon the Pharisee, the religious, and the woman, the sinner. Let's apply them to both. So first of all, the religious. Maybe you're like Simon in this story, and you struggle with religion like we've talked about. Jesus is telling you that you are far worse than you could ever imagine. You are not the person that only owes 50 denarii. You are not the person who has only sinned a little bit. You are the woman. You are the sinner. You are far worse than you could ever imagine, and you cannot earn God's favor in your life. Here's the point. 
You don't have to be known for how good you are. You can be known as forgiven. We don't have to shy away from the depth of our sin when we're in the presence of Jesus. He welcomes all of it and he forgives all of it. So you don't have to try so hard to keep up appearances. You don't have to try so hard to maintain your reputation as a good religious person because you're far worse than you could imagine. So like the woman, own it and bring it to Jesus. That's how the gospel applies to the religious person in the story. But what about the sinful woman? What about her and what about all of us? Once you've been through that process of realizing you're far worse than you wanted to imagine, now what do we do? Jesus tells us that we are forgiven as well. So stop dragging around the baggage of how bad you've been. Take it to Jesus and let him forgive all of it. Here's the good news for the sinners. You don't have to be known by how bad you've been. You can be known as forgiven. You don't have to live in a constant state of guilt and shame. So if you're religious, you don't have to be known for how good you are. Stop trying to fake it until you make it. You don't have to be known for how good you are. If you're the sinner, you don't have to be known for how bad you are. Because both of us can be known as forgiven by Jesus. Jesus brings the gospel to both the religious and the irreligious. The self-righteous and the unrighteous. And he levels the ground for both groups of people and says, you both need me. He looks at one and says, you're way worse than you want to admit. And he looks at the other and he says, you're way more loved than you ever thought you could be. We need to reckon with this in our hearts this morning. Figure out where we are on this spectrum and come to Jesus. In the story, Jesus gives us the right kind of response to this immense, heavy forgiveness. And that right response is love. Our love toward Jesus is in direct proportion to how much we think we need him. Simon didn't think he needed Jesus. So because he didn't think he needed Jesus, he didn't think he needed forgiveness. He didn't love Jesus. But the woman, the sinful woman, understood how needy she really was. In my prayer all week as I've been reading this text and all morning as I've been praying with Matthew by myself in the car on the way in, been praying, God, let me reckon with how needy I am. Because how needy I am, how low I am, glorifies God by how far up he gets to pull me. You know, what, what makes this story so incredible is, is the love of Jesus towards us. The love of Jesus towards us. It's an incredible attribute to be able to love anything that's hard to love, right? The very word famous, right? Famous people are well-liked people across the board. So it's easy to love someone who's never done anything wrong. It's easy to love someone who follows all the rules. It's easy to love someone who does all sorts of things for you. It's not easy to love the opposite of that. It's not easy to love someone who's messy and backstabbing, rebellious, doesn't listen, doesn't care about. That's not easy to love. 
In fact, it's that kind of behavior that ruins friendships, that ruins marriages, that ruins families, that ruins churches. But I think there's something attractive about the kind of stories where someone loves the unlovely, right? We love stories where someone falls in love with an ordinary girl like Cinderella. We love the stories where someone falls in love with a hideously cursed man like Beauty and the Beast. But here's the good news. Life is not like a fairy tale. Life is better than a fairy tale because the gospel is the true fairy tale where Jesus, the perfectly lovely one, loves us, the most unlovable beings that have ever existed. So when you see a fairy tale, don't so separate it from your life that you're not able to dream a bit and go, God loves me more. God's love for me reaches from the most lovely to the least lovely, and he pulls me close to him. The gospel is the true fairy tale of Christ who has come to love us, who have nothing lovely in us. We've lived in direct opposition to him, stolen his glory and rebelled against him, yet he loves us so much that he's willing to forgive us so that he can have a relationship with us. The story of Jesus is better than the best fairy tale. And I pray that this story would come alive in our hearts this morning. And so in entering into an attitude of prayer now, bringing this text down into our home, home into our hearts and and asking ourselves, where do we fall? Maybe you're like the woman. Maybe you're even more like the woman where you think you're unforgivable. You're not. If you were a hundred thousand times worse than you are right now, if you were, God's grace would overwhelm your sin to that degree. Your sin is no match for his grace and his forgiveness. If you're like the Pharisee and you're sitting there right now thinking, well, I bet somebody in here needs this message. This message is probably for you. You are way worse than you could imagine. But God's forgiveness will humble you as well. You need his grace. You need his love. So this morning, I pray that we would all be won back to God by his incredible love for us, his incredible forgiveness towards us.